Garden Basics with Farmer Fred is brought to you by Smart Pots, the original lightweight, long-lasting fabric plant container. It's made in the USA. Visit smartpots.com slash Fred for more information and a special discount. That's smartpots.com slash Fred. Welcome to the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. If you're just a beginning gardener or you want good gardening information, well, you've come to the right spot. It's not a baking potato. It's not a yam. It's a sweet potato. And it isn't just for Thanksgiving anymore. You can grow sweet potatoes in your garden for any meal. Master gardener Gail Pothauer will tell you how. The plant of the week, it's putting on a show right now here in California and soon across much of the rest of the country. And it's an excellent cut flower, too. It's the Peruvian lily, also known as Alstromeria. Warren Roberts of the UC Davis Arboretum waxes rhapsodic about this plant, although he says it should really be called the chili lily. He'll explain. It's all on episode 101 of the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast, brought to you today by Smart Pots and Dave Wilson Nursery. And we'll do it all in under 30 minutes. Let's go. like to answer your questions here on the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. And one listener sends us a text to 916-292-8964 and says, I'm hoping you might address the subject of growing sweet potatoes. This person says, uh, any experience you might have with varieties or tips would be appreciated. It's been very frustrating with a low success rate. As a San Joaquin Master Gardener in Lodi, I have access to resources to help with these crops. Any experience you might have with varieties or tips would be appreciated. Buying organic sweet potatoes and starting the slip growing process in January has been frustrating with a low success rate. They are in my house, which isn't very warm in winter. Well, when it comes to vegetables, we like to bring in our resident vegetable expert, Sacramento County Master Gardener, Gail Pothauer. And Gail, sweet potatoes, they really like the heat, don't they? Oh, they do, and they're warm. So you get them in too early and you'll have problems. So you need to wait, get them in the ground when it's like mid-May here in the Sacramento Valley. In one regards, I understand this person's frustration because at a lot of nurseries, sweet potatoes are available usually in late winter, and that's not the time to be planting them. And so it's a case oh, of having yeah. to, it's a case of having to keep those sweet potatoes someplace cool and dry until the weather warms up. Right, cool and dry, but not too cool because the they are sensitive to temperatures below 50 degrees. So if you store them in your, say, in a garage or in a shed during the winter, that could be too cold for them. So um, one of the best ways to get these slips, and sweet potatoes are grown from slips, not the actual potato, is to get them from a disease-free certified mail order place or a nursery. Uh, sometimes local nurseries will carry the slips, not often. Uh, mail order catalogs will have them listed, but one of the main problems is most southern-grown slips cannot be shipped to California because there's a quarantine for the sweet potato weevil. So it can be difficult to find slips that you can order, but you can also grow them yourself if you have, say, an organically grown sweet potato that you've been able to hold over during the winter. There is a process to grow out the slips yourself. 
Is there a chance of picking up a disease that way, though? Or should you actually buy the sweet potatoes, fresh seed potatoes, fresh every year? Well, there is a chance to have diseases that are passed along because the slips are, um, since they're grown vegetatively, you grow them from a slip that comes off of the sweet potato, it is possible to transfer diseases, um, particularly viruses and things like that. So I think if you're careful, um, I mean, we always recommend you get them from a certified uh, mail order, you know, grower. But if you do it yourself, if you get an organically grown sweet potato at a farmer's market and there hasn't been any kind of a sprout inhibitor put on it, then you can try it yourself. It can be a little bit of a challenge, but it's kind of like the science experiment we did in high school. You know, there is a way that you can grow them. And we do have one of our Sacramento County Master Garden publications does have information about growing slips yourself. It is. It's a very handy publication called Growing Sweet Potatoes in the Sacramento Region, and you can uh, do an Internet search for that uh, just by using that phrase, Growing Sweet Potatoes in the Sacramento Region. If you add the letters U-C-A-N-R after it, it'll pop right up. U-C-A-N-R stands for the University of California Agriculture and Natural Resources. Uh, Yeah, and there's a lot of great information there. And in the case of this uh, particular person, uh, I think they just started a little too early. Oh, I agree. Um, they said that they had started them in January, and that's way too early. Because at least in our area, in order for the soil to be warm enough and the air temperature to be warm enough, we'll plant them in the garden in May. So you would start the slips yourself two months before that, so March. So January is a little bit early. And this person also said that their home was, wasn't was very warm in the winter. And in order to grow out sweet potato slips, they need to be kept quite warm. So the way you would do it is to have small sweet potatoes, put them in a shallow container, cover them a couple of inches with sand or peat moss or some material, sawdust even, keep it moist and warm. So you would ideally put the container on say, a propagation mat, a heating mat, to keep the the medium warm, 75 to 80 degrees. So that's what they need. If it's too early and too cold, you won't have very good success. But again, you have the conundrum of sweet potatoes being available at the nursery way too early, I mean, uh, for planting. So you, you buy them in winter, but hold on to them and don't start the slips until, like you said, uh, when the weather warms up. Right. And unlike um, the regular potato, the russet, the, the Irish potato that we normally um, associate with uh, growing in the ground, you put that potato in the ground and that's what sprouts. Sweet potatoes, you don't plant the sweet potato. You do need to get slips growing from that potato, and then you would snap those off and plant the slip in the ground. Hmm. Okay. Then how, what, what is the process for doing that? Well, that's, um, as I mentioned, you would put the potato, the sweet potato in a shallow container, cover it medium, keep it warm. The slips would grow, and when they're about eight inches long, you just snap those off and then just stick that in the ground, and then roots will form hmm. from that slip. Sweet potatoes have a large growing area. They can be grown in, in many areas of California and also around the country, too. They can be grown in uh, many zones. And that would include, uh, if you're familiar with the National Sunset Zones, zones 26 
through 33, and that includes central and interior Florida, the lower Rio Grande Valley, the Gulf Coast, North Florida, the Atlantic Coast to Charleston, the interior plains of South Texas, hill country of central Texas, the interior plains of the Gulf Coast and coastal southeast, the interior plains of the mid-Atlantic states, Chesapeake Bay, southeastern Pennsylvania, southern New Jersey, and the uh, north-central Texas and Oklahoma area eastward all the way to the Appalachian foothills. So uh, sweet potatoes do have a very wide growing area where you, you can try this yourself. So what sort of fertilization and watering do sweet potatoes need? Well, they need to have a fertile soil. It needs to be pretty sandy and well-draining. Uh, they tend to not do real well in, say, a heavy clay soil because when you harvest the sweet potatoes, it can get scarred up and things like that. But as far as fertilization, you don't want high nitrogen because then you'll get a lot of foliage and not so much flowering and, and the little sweet potatoes. So what we like to do at the Fairworks Horticulture Center when we grow sweet potatoes is give them a monthly application of something like fish emulsion that's been diluted. Um, nothing too high in nitrogen. When are sweet potatoes ready to harvest? Yeah, many varieties are available um, after 90 to 140 days. So depending on the variety that you're growing, um, you would start checking in the soil around that time. So if you were growing a 100-day variety, after 100 days, kind of check around and see what size the little sweet potatoes are. Um, but generally, it's going to be later in the summer, even early fall because it is a long-growing season. Will the vines turn yellow first before they're ready? Generally, they will. Um, that's one of the signs that they're getting ready to harvest is the sign will start to yellow. So if the vines have not started to naturally turn yellow, but it's starting to become cold weather. Uh, remember I said they're sensitive to temperatures at 50 degrees or below. Then you might want to just harvest them before the cold weather because that would really damage the sweet potatoes. All right, so pay attention to those nighttime temperatures, and when the forecast starts calling for nighttime temperatures or early morning temperatures to be below 50 degrees, uh, get out your uh, shovel or spading fork and, and start harvesting. Mm -hmm, absolutely, yeah, because they will be damaged, even if just a few hours at, at below 50 degrees. How do you store sweet potatoes? Uh, good question. Sweet potatoes do need to be cured before they're stored. Um, otherwise, they will decay in storage. And it's kind of tricky of finding ways to, to cure sweet potatoes because the, commercially, the growers do have curing rooms with heaters and humidifiers and evaporative coolers to maintain all the proper temperature and humidity. Well, that isn't something that home gardeners really have access to. So actually, in the publication that I mentioned earlier about growing sweet potatoes in Sacramento area, there is um, a list of ways that home gardeners can try to cure the sweet potatoes without having all that fancy equipment. The thing is, you want to keep it warm and humid. So it's kind of hard, at least in our area, to have warm weather that's humid because we don't have a lot of humidity here. But there are things like storing them in a warm area, a greenhouse or something with a pail of water and covering them with plastic to keep the humidity in. So things like that. Um, but you do need to cure them for several weeks in order for them to store properly. 
And another way to cure sweet potatoes, as I say, it can be rather daunting to have the right equipment, is that you could set up um, a heater in a small room or in a pantry and have the temperature about 85 degrees and then have a bucket of water that you would place in that room to kind of keep the humidity up and put the sweet potato roots that you've harvested in boxes, have them well ventilated, so in a single layer, and place that box on a table or something uh, above the heater so that you have the warmth and the humidity, and that would help with the curing process, and it may take uh, a week or so. However, just be careful if you're using a heater around anything that's flammable that you want to take precautions so that you don't have the heater get overheated and could cause a fire. After you cure them, you'd want to store them in a room that's about 60 degrees. And so, you know, what's the coolest place in your house? Maybe wrap them in newspaper, put them in a box under your bed kind mm-hmm. of thing or in a <laughs> unused closet. But that's kind of one of the challenges of growing sweet potatoes is the curing process and then storage process. Now, if you don't plan on storing the potato, the sweet potatoes for very long, you could certainly eat them and that's fine. But just be aware that newly harvested sweet potatoes aren't going to be very sweet. They need that curing process or at least a storage time when the carbohydrates turns to sugar. So that makes the sweet potato a little bit more palatable. So you can certainly eat them right after they're harvested, but they won't have that real sweet flavor that we, that's what we expect. Yeah, and I guess storing the roots in in rooms that are warmer than 65 degrees could cause those roots to sprout. Right, so that's another problem is if it's too warm, then they can sprout. So it's finding that optimum about 60 degrees in a dark place, in a box under your bed, maybe. One thing we haven't uh, talked about in this discussion of uh, sweet potato tips is, is is a sweet potato the same thing as a yam? No, it is not. That's a marketing ploy. (laughs) Actually, um, the true yam is from Africa. It's a completely different family, um, not related at all to the sweet potato. And they can get huge. They can get three feet long and weigh 30 and 40 pounds. So you don't find true yams grown here in the U.S. Um, I've never actually seen one. It was back in the mid-20th century that uh, farmers in Louisiana decided they wanted to differentiate their orange flesh sweet potatoes that are a little moister than some of the white ones that are a little drier. They wanted to differentiate them from those drier uh, sweet potatoes. So they started calling them yams. So it was just simply a marketing ploy. So in California, I don't know about other states, But if it's labeled as a yam, they have to also tell you it's a sweet potato. So all sweet potatoes are sweet potatoes. There is no true yam that's grown here in the U.S. (laughs) Also, I failed to mention that the leaves on sweet potatoes are edible as well. I mentioned it about okra, but I think I forgot to mention it on the sweet potato. Well, you just did. (laughs) (laughs) But it's that the sweet potato leaves can be used like spinach or chard. I would eat them raw. Can you eat the sweet potato leaves raw? So sweet potato leaves can be eaten raw, although they kind of have a slight bitterness apparently when they're raw. When they're cooked, they become a little more mild and delicate flavored. And I have not actually eaten sweet potato leaves 
raw myself. But according to one of the websites that I got on Specialty Produce, they were talking about it and said that it's very similar in taste to spinach. Um, it can be a little bitter when raw. So if you use it in a salad, um, it's perfectly edible, but it might impart a little bitter flavor. Um, cooking it would mellow that out. We've learned a lot today about growing sweet potatoes. Gail Pothauer, Sacramento County Master Gardener, thanks for your help on this. My pleasure, Fred. We're glad to have Smart Pots on board supporting the Garden Basics podcast. Smart Pots are the original award-winning fabric planter. They're sold worldwide. Smart Pots are proudly made 100% in the USA. I'm pretty picky about who I allow to advertise on this program. My criteria, though, is, is pretty simple. It has to be a product I like, a product I use, a product I would buy again. And Smart Pots clicks all those boxes. They're durable, they're reusable. Smart Pots are available at independent garden centers and select Ace and True Value stores nationwide. To find a store near you, visit smartpots.com Fred. It's Smart Pots, the original award-winning fabric planter. Go to smartpots.com Fred for more info and that special Farmer Fred discount on your next Smart Pot purchase. Go to smartpots.com slash Fred. You have a small yard and you think you don't have the room for fruit trees? Well, maybe you better think again because Dave Wilson Nursery wants to show you how to grow great tasting fruits, peaches, apples, pluots, and a lot more in small areas. You could even grow them in containers on patios as well. It's called Backyard Orchard Culture. And you can get step-by-step information via the fruit tube videos at DaveWilson.com. And that's where you're going to find the closest nursery to you that carries Dave Wilson's quality fruit trees. So start the backyard orchard of your dreams at DaveWilson.com. like to talk with Warren Roberts out at the UC Davis Arboretum and find out a plant of the week, a plant that is probably putting on a show right now or has some sort of interest for the season. And Warren, this week we are talking about uh, the Alstroemeria or the Peruvian lily. Yes, the Alstroemeria. I, I really didn't know about Alstroemerias until I uh, lived in Peru and it was back in the mid-60s. Uh, and it, it was being grown a lot as a as a cut flower, although cut flower is not quite right because when you harvest uh, alstroemerias, you pull generally pull and twist the stem out out of the the ground because if you cut it, it discourages uh, continual flowering. It's uh, it's called the Peruvian lily because when Europeans described it and discovered it, Chile or Chile. The country to the south was part of the Peruvian Viceroyalty, and so it was given that name. But it's really from Chile, uh, the species that are used in the hybridization. Most of them are Chilean natives. And I've tried to convince people to call it the, the common name from the country of origin, but when I say Chile lily, people usually snicker, so I don't think I'm going to make any headway on that. But it, the Chilean lily would be a more appropriate name. There you go. However, yes. However, like the, the the Thanksgiving bird, the turkey is actually was domesticated in Mexico and had nothing to do with turkey. 
at all. So once these things are started, they you can't really turn them around. It's kind of a juggernaut of disinformation. There are about 50 different species, all South American, and it's not a true lily. It, it's uh, in its own botanical family and not in the lily family, but it is lily-like. So it's the, the, the name lily is okay. I think it's the prettiest weed we have. Well, it certainly is enthusiastic. <laughs> <laughs> and all, not, not all the species are. Some of them are exceedingly rare in, in nature, but have come into the hybridizing program. I, I warn people, I say, if you, if you want Alstromerias, find a place in the, the garden that's it's sunny. They, that most of them like pretty much full sun, a little afternoon shade perhaps in our area in California. But you will always have it there. It will be there forever. One example is the Botanic Garden at Berkeley. Uh, there was a, a, a beautiful uh, population of hybrids. The, the hybridization occurred right there in the garden. It was almost a rainbow of colors. Beautiful. And there was a, they'd have a party in the spring to celebrate that. Well, the decision was made that these were not, um, how should I put it? Their, their documentation was sketchy. <laughs> in, that, in that garden, everything that it grows there. You have to know exactly where it was collected in the wild and, and so on. So uh, there was some money to put in a Chinese herb garden. And it's a wonderful Chinese herb garden, but particularly because it's a Chinese herb garden with Alstromerias. They continue coming up and uh, and being beautiful. So I've warned people about that. And then they, they, they don't uh, follow my advice, which is not uncommon. And then they come to me and said, Warren, you were right. <laughs> <laughs> because not only are they permanent where you put them, but they do spread a bit as, as well. And the seedlings come up and so on. There is no oh, question yeah. that if you plant Alstroemeria, indeed, you will have them forever. I'm still pulling up Alstroemeria shoots from where I tore them out four years ago. Yes, it's a, a sort of a job uh, security. Yes, it is. But it's a great cut flower. It really does have a long bloom season. And in its place, I think it's excellent. Yes, but just finding the correct place, it's like hiring somebody. You've spent a lot of time making sure that you, you're hiring the best person and then let them uh, then get out of their way, let them do the work. And that's the way it is with Alstromeria. I think that a good good way to have Alstromerias is to plant them in a very large uh, container, uh, a, a pot that uh, keeps it in, in place, and then just don't let it go to seed. There is these beautiful, there to see, there's uh, Alstromeria aurea, which is uh, uh, sort of an orange-yellow flower, uh, which gets about, oh, gee, four or five feet high. Alstromeria ligtu, which has tends to have red flowers, and the, the hybrids are many between those two and these rare species along the coast and in the desert of Chile. There's even actually an annual one in the deserts of Chile. But most of them are perennial with fleshy roots. They're not a bulb, really. They can be grown in areas which get considerable cold, but don't let the ground freeze. For example, in Connecticut, they can be grown, but you need to mulch them heavily, and they'll make it through the winter. Generally speaking, Alstromerias can be grown, shall we say, south of the Mason-Dixon line and then up uh, the eastern seaboard to uh, just about Connecticut. You can probably grow them through uh, Maryland, Delaware, southern New Jersey, uh, southern Pennsylvania as well. 
And you could also, um, you know, plant them in season or put them out during the warm season. And then if, if you have a way to store them in the uh, cold season, then you can you can have them as a perennial. Uh, it's an example of what a perennial is a plant that would have bloomed again year after year had it lived. Had it lived, yes. <laughs> there is another one from southern Brazil called uh, Alstroemeria psittacina, meaning psittacina means parrot-like. It has a narrow red uh, flower with green-tipped uh, flower parts. And that one is truly weedy, but very beautiful. <laughs> There's also a variegated form of that. It's it's a cut flower that you don't cut. And yeah. it's one of the longest-lasting vase flowers I know. Uh, two weeks, easy. Correct. And, yeah. and if you use the, the uh, something that can extend the life of a, a vase flower, then it, it lasts even longer, and even even when it's through being being uh, in its prime in a vase, the, the the flower parts fall still intact. So it's a really splendid um, plant. Carnations and Alstroemerias. Uh, some people don't like them because they're commonly used. But the reason they're commonly used is that they're so successful. Yes, and you're very correct about pulling the flower out. Don't cut it. And if when you pull it out, uh, that also encourages it to rebloom as well. It does. And don't get if you're doing a lot of work with them. Don't get the sap on your skin because it somehow uh, re- reduces the skin's ability to resist ultraviolet rays, and people can get sunburn from uh, from the juice of the plant. Whoa. Okay. I did not know that. Well, Alstroemeria, it knows its place. Do you? Try out the Peruvian lily for yourself. I bet you can find some uh, Peruvian lilies at the uh, UC Davis Arboretum, Warren. Uh, Usually so, but you can also find them at almost any nursery, and uh, they're well worth getting. But just remember the warnings. Yes, they're going to take over your yard and give you sunburn. Okay. <laughs> they're, they're a gorgeous plant. Alstroemeria is the Peruvian lily. Warren Roberts is the superintendent emeritus of the UC Davis Arboretum. Visit the Arboretum online at arboretum.ucdavis.edu. As uh, the COVID-19 situation wanes, the activities at the Arboretum are picking up. So uh, check their website for uh, more information about what's happening out there. Warren, thanks so much for uh, joining us and telling us about the plant of the week, the Peruvian lily, also known as Alstroemeria. Oh, you're welcome. It was fun to do. The Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast has a lot of information posted at each episode. Transcripts, links to any products or books mentioned during the show, and other helpful links for even more information. Plus, you can listen to just the portions of the show that interest you. It's been divided into easily accessible chapters. And you're going to find more information about how to get in touch with us. You can leave an audio question without making a phone call. You do it via SpeakPipe. Go to speakpipe.com slash garden basics. It's easy. Give it a try. If you're listening to us via Apple Podcasts, put your question in the ratings and reviews section. You can text us questions and pictures or leave us your question at 916-292-8964. That's 916-292-8964. And you can email us, fred at farmerfred.com. And please tell us where you're from because that'll help us greatly accurately answer your garden questions. Because after all, all gardening is local. 
In the show notes, you'll find links to all our social media outlets. That includes Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Also, you'll find a link to the FarmerFred.com website. Garden Basics comes out every Tuesday and Friday and is brought to you by Smart Pots. It's available just about anywhere, and that includes Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. And for Northern California gardeners, it's the Green Acres Garden Podcast with Farmer Fred. It's available also wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and leaving comments. And thanks for listening.